Amen. Thank you, Bill. Good morning again. And Merry Christmas to you. It's, bless you. What, what, a beautiful, what a beautiful time to be together. Here at Christmas when, um, you know, we've been, we've been separated for so long and some of us get to be together face to face. Is that better? Uh, and some of us online and, and that kind of stuff. It's a strange season, isn't it? I don't know about you, but this time of year uh, is, for Sandy and I, uh, is, is very different. We usually have uh, Christmas parties in our home for elders and deacons and staff. And um, for one thing, our house is one of the smallest we've ever had, so y'all wouldn't fit. Um, uh, but it's, um, it's, it's just a strange thing, very strange. But you know what, what's, what's the constant is that we're still celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. He's the same. This isn't the first pandemic. This isn't the first hard time. This isn't the first uh, war-type season. This isn't the first bit of anxiety that Christians have experienced. Jesus has been the Lord through every one of those, every single one, and he will always be the Lord. Three weeks ago, we opened up uh, the Word, or three sermons ago, and... um, and we looked at future, or we looked at the foundations of hope. Foundations of hope. Um, this, and then two weeks ago, last week, we looked at uh, hope fulfilled. And Pastor Nathan opened up Luke chapter 2 and chapter 3. Uh, and uh, helped us to see that we are in the already but not yet kind of place. Uh, hope's fulfilled, but hope's not yet. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Today we're going to open up Luke chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 to 21, and we're going to be looking at hope future, that our future hope is secure. That's what I love about what Sophia was, was telling us regarding her story, that her hope is secure, because even it's not just her past, but her present, but her future, her future is covered through Jesus Christ. So let's go to the Lord uh, in prayer in Luke chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1, this is the word of our Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Now, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among all those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels were away from them into heaven, 
the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. (coughs) And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. (coughs) The Holy Father, Lord, you have given us this day, and you've given us this word. You've given us your son, Jesus. You've given us yourself. Father, I pray that on this morning you would open up our hearts as we open up your word. Father, that you would transform us through your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for this one that would preach your word. Father, open your word with with fear and trembling. My greatest desire is that you would be glorified and people transformed by your grace. And I pray that you would make that happen. Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase. And that I would know that you are our Father. And that your love for us is so deep and so strong that you have given us your very Son. Lord, I pray that we would bring him glory today. For he is our Redeemer, our Jesus. Amen. Sometimes it's hard to see the glory of the real things because we're focused on little counterfeit glories or maybe big counterfeit glories, things that make lots of noise, but they might not be the biggest thing going on. In 1809, there was a war going on in Europe. Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. It was a brutal time. There's blood on the battlefield and death everywhere. I'm quite certain that if the newspapers, if there were any, were to put forth a headline, it would talk about this war in Austria and how the, the world was being changed and shaped by what Napoleon was doing. Yet that wasn't the most incredible thing going on. The world was overlooking some terribly significant births at that time. In England, a a young baby was born who was given the name William Gladstone. He would be one of England's greatest statesmen. That same year, uh, one of my favorites, Alfred, Alfred Tennyson, Alfred Lord Tennyson was born to a a pastor and his wife. On the American continent, a baby was born that was given the powerful name of Oliver Wendell Holmes. In Boston, 
Edgar Allan Poe was born and began a uh, tragic but famous life. And in a log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky, a little baby was born that would one day sport a tall black hat and a black beard and would give us a speech at Gettysburg and sign an Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln. The world's focus is on battlefields, on stuff that's famous. And quite often we miss these little births, these obscure births. Such would have been the case in Bethlehem. Rome was occupying Israel. Their occupation was was fierce. And yet in in a manger was laid a baby that was also a king. A baby who embodied in himself all the glory that the world would ever know. He had a peace, he was himself peace that he gave to all those with whom he would be pleased, which would be all of those in whom he had favor. That baby shapes all of our lives. Humility is so easy to overlook, isn't it? You've got a few shepherds on a hillside taking care of a bunch of sheep. We don't know how many sheep. We don't know how many shepherds. We don't know how far outside the city they were, but they were in the same region. One shepherd or one angel shows up and and begins to tell them of this, this birth of this king, and they're filled with fear. And the angel says to shepherds, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Fear not. Suddenly, a whole host of of heavenly angels show up. And if you're a little afraid of one angel, how how do you think you're feeling when the whole host of heavenly angels show up? I don't know about you, but I would probably faint at that point. A whole host of heavenly angels show up, and, and they begin to sing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among all those with whom he is pleased. All of heaven rejoiced and gave glory because of this baby, this this king, this baby, this king, this infant, this king, this born in a stable and laid in a manger. Your translation might, might say it different, might say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on all those in whom he has favor or on whom his favor rests. It's the same thing. There are many places in Scripture where we see, we see glory to God. Lots of places from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. There's only one place where it says glory to God in the highest. And that is as this heavenly host is singing over this newborn king. Glory to God in the highest. What a paradox. A host of heavenly angels singing a glory to God in the highest, and they're speaking of a baby that's not even born in a hospital, not born in a palace, not even born in a home, but born in a, in a stable, in a small village. The angels sang of glory, but there was no glory that could be seen. 
There was no midwife. There was no mom, no big sisters, no aunts. There was no one around to help Mary with his birth except a man that wasn't yet her husband. It was a stable, so there would have been the smells that were, <laughs> that were not the kind of smells you want your newborn babe to, to endure. If the baby had been born in, in Mary's home village, there would, have been, uh, there would have been a thousand whispers at the sound of this scandalous baby's cry. Because remember, remember, Mary had not yet known Joseph. They were not married yet. This baby was born out of wedlock. All the scandalous whispers of the scandalous birth would have been there. But she didn't even have that. She's taken to another town, another village, because Rome had said, go to your hometown. And so they went to Joseph's hometown. As it was in this spot, this wide spot in the road, uh, Mary had no bed and she had no celebrations of this birth. At least none on earth. Massive celebrations in heaven. There might have been other births in the world that night, but none would have been as glorious as this one. His glory was not due to his athletic prowess. It wasn't due to his intelligence. It wasn't due to his political power. It wasn't due to all of his gold or all of his good looks. And isn't that all just kind of ironic? Because he made man and woman. If there's anything about looks that are good or bad according to what we see and how we define that, Jesus made all of that. If we're going to talk about power, political power, or any kind of power, this little baby has the power of it all. Want to talk about intelligence? This is the one that has all knowledge and all wisdom. Athletic prowess, that's where we give glory today, fame and athletic prowess, wealth. I'm, I'm quite sure that if he can throw the stars into space, he can put a baseball wherever he wants it to be. He can throw a football on a dime 80 yards to a touchdown in the corner. He can do whatever he wants. But his glory isn't given to the things that we give glory to today and not for the same reasons. Those are all temporary. His glory is eternal. It is glory past. It is glory present. It is glory future. It is infinite, and it is beyond infinite. This is the glory of the king that has made the heaven and the earth. It is not limited by time or volume or place. Why would this God of glory choose to be born in this humble even humiliating place, and why? Think about the things we value. We value um, palaces. We value fame. We value gold. Um, we, we value power. We value performance and perfection. God's character doesn't value all of that. He values holiness and grace. 
He values justice and mercy. God values love. God values you. He values you. Don't miss that in all of this story. We value all these temporary things of earth, and God values you. That's why Jesus was born in this humble place, even this humiliating place, because he values you. And he takes all of his glory, and he brings it, and he meets us in our low estate, in our low place. He meets us in our sin. It's crazy to think of this this quiet, humble birth that could come for one that is worthy of glory, this eternal glory. But for, for for this God to have this glory for eternity, he had to be He had to be greater and more glorious than anything that there was and anything that would come forever. So this one that is is the baby has this glory not only for that day, but for the next day and the next week and the next year and the next millennium and for the next 10,000s of years and 10,000s of years beyond that. This one that has this glory transcends all other glories that the world could ever know. God's glory is eternal, not just past, not just present, but forever. And so is his peace. This peace that he gives us is not as the world gives us. There there are times um, when, when births might be peaceful. This one was not likely peaceful. There are times when evenings are peaceful. You're sitting in front of a fire with your your favorite people and all is nice and quiet, peaceful. And there's times when when, when the evenings are not peaceful. There's times when countries are at peace and there's times when countries are at war. This year we haven't seen a lot of peace here in our nation or in our world. And yet there have been times, moments where there has been Beautiful peace. The kind of peace that Jesus is talking about here, that that Luke is writing of, of what the angels have sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased is a different kind of peace. And it transcends all of that. For Mary and Joseph, this was not a time of peace. Rome had directed them to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem for the census. And Rome had enough power that they could force people to do that. There was so much power in it that Joseph was willing to take his betrothed wife, Mary, even though she was eight or nine months pregnant, and take the 90-mile journey, 90-mile journey to Nazareth. Now, it's not 90 miles from Nazareth. It's not 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem as the crow flies. But unless you are in the Chronicles of Narnia or Lord of the Rings, you can't have an eagle pick you up and deliver you where you want to go. It doesn't work that way. You've got to walk or ride a donkey. And either one of those is not going to be comfortable for an eight or nine month pregnant woman. You've got to go over to the Jordan River and you've got to walk up the flat spots there. And then you've got to go over the mountains to get to Bethlehem. It's not an easy climb. It's an arduous journey at best. And, but they were so, so um, under the thumb of the Roman government that they had to make that journey. There was nothing peaceful about it from an earthly perspective. There wasn't any peace in the region. There wasn't any peace in that situation. But there was something that was deeper than any physical peace you and I could grab a hold of. 
It was deeper and it was longer lasting because it was a peace from God for his people. It's a peace that comes from our salvation. We know from Scripture, from Romans, Galatians, we know that we are, we are enmity with God, that we, there is a relationship of, of, of distrust, a relationship of, of anger, that we are angry with God because of our sin. There's something between us and God. We are by nature, according to Ephesians, uh, objects of God's wrath. Something has to cure that wrath or we're in deep trouble forever. This peace brings about something that's deeper than an earthly peace. It's a peace that comes from our salvation, the doing away of that wrath so that we are no longer objects of God's wrath, but we become objects of his affection. God values you. This peace comes from a confident knowledge that we have that eternal life, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. It's a peace of an intimate fellowship with Jesus. It's being with Jesus, Jesus being with you. It's knowing the, the intimacy of his words that I will never leave you nor forsake you that I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's the intimacy of a still quiet moment before the sun rises or late at night when everything has gotten quiet and you have you and Jesus and there is no interruption. It's the peace that you can have uh, in the intimacy of the chaos of having three small children under four years old <laughs> And wondering when you'll ever catch up on sleep. It's the peace that comes that you have. That you know firmly when you have to say goodbye to a family member or a friend. Because you know it is time for them to slip the bonds of earth. And that their very next breath will be in front of Jesus Christ himself. And yet somehow he gives you that peace even in that moment. It's not a peace that the earth can give, my friends. It's a peace that isn't just for the easy days, but for the hardest of days. Christ is still with you. This peace that the angels sang about to the shepherds was not a temporary thing but something that was promised to all of you that have faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life, on whom his favor rests, with whom he is pleased. You might not feel peaceful. Your emotions might not always be at peace. You might not feel the freedom, the experience, the freedom from pain or persecution or poverty. But that peace of heart and soul is still yours if you have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. We're prone, I'm prone, you're prone, we're all prone to reach for things of earth to somehow salve a lack of peace in our lives. What do you reach for? What do you reach for in those moments when the anxiety just begins to peak so high? So high that you feel it. What do you reach for? 
Well, a lot of us reach for religion. Religion is different than Christianity. Religion is, is well, uh, my futile attempt to grab a hold of God. Christianity is different. Christianity is God's effectively grabbing hold of us. Religion says, I have really screwed up. I've got to hide from my father. Christianity said, I've really screwed up. I need to call my father. We are more prone to reach for religion. We reach for religion. We we reach for, um, for addictions. Good addictions may be like exercise, but they're still addictions if, they try to, if we try to use those to replace the peace that Christ gives. We're prone to reach for drugs, for alcohol, for pleasing people, gaming, fame, wealth, power, sex, pornography. We reach for all sorts of stuff instead of running to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that has promised us this peace, this peace that passes all understanding. In John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I leave with you. My friends, why would we run to anything else When Jesus has said, my peace you can have. Jesus is better. This peace is for those with whom God is pleased. He is pleased with those who who have trusted him, whose faith is in Christ Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ yet, I plead with you. Don't let this morning go by without making that change to where you begin to trust Jesus Christ. His desire is not that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. He has a desire that you have an intimate, personal relationship with him, that he he forgive you of your sins, that you be done with your sins. That's his desire. What is your desire? We long for peace. My friend says peace is found in Christ. And Christ alone. It's a peace that is eternal because God's favor is eternal. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace for all those on whom his favor rests. I like that translation, that NIV translation, because I, I, I like that, that imagery of, of favor. When we think of favor, we think of of doing a favor for a friend. Maybe it's a political favor. I do you a favor and you owe me a favor. But that's different. That's not a a no strings attached blessing. There's no grace in that. Uh, We think of favor when we think of maybe a king or a queen bestowing favor uh, on a peasant, you know, Um, like you see in the movies. And that that's comes a little bit closer because that peasant could do nothing for the queen. But, but that still doesn't get it. Because even though that queen or that king might bestow favor on that peasant, that, that king or queen is not inviting that peasant into their home to be their son or their daughter, to, be, to have a seat at their table. 
The favor that God gives us is very, very different than that. It's a favor that is all of grace. It isn't a transaction. It isn't, I will do this for you if you do this for me. My friends, there's nothing we could do, would do, have done, will do, nothing of any of that that would be pleasing to God to the point that he would give us eternal life. None of that. We can't do that. It's not in us. It is all of grace or it is none of Christ. If you have Christ, it's because of grace. You, you have nothing that you can give him that would be worthy of eternal life. Nothing. My friend Frank Barker, my spiritual father, um, had been a, um, a Navy fighter pilot. And the way he tells the story, I've never been a Navy fighter pilot. Some of you have been. Um, I don't know what a Navy fighter pilot is really like, but the way Frank tells the story is like this. He said, I was a typical Navy fighter pilot. I was so bad that I figured the only way I was going to get to heaven is if I became a preacher. <laughs> and so he went to seminary to become a preacher. And after he'd begun to, to preach, he became a believer in Jesus Christ. You catch the, catch the order there. That's when Frank became a believer in Christ. All of grace. Romans chapter 5. Verse 8 tells that God demonstrates his love for us in this and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. All because of, his, because of his love. God demonstrates his own love for you that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Long before you're ever born. The peace that you have, the eternal life that you have, his pleasure in you was given to you long before you were ever born. His pleasure in you is not bent on your actions then. It is built on the actions, the life of Jesus Christ. God is pleased with you because of who Christ is, not because of what you have done. That doesn't mean he's always pleased with our actions. No, not at all. He's not always pleased with our actions. Let's don't make that mistake. But God is pleased with you. His favor is poured out on you. His pleasure is in you and on you because of who Jesus is. God likes you, my friend. He is pleased with you. He desires to have a relationship with you. Second Corinthians in 5.21, for our sake, God the Father made him to be sin, made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. For our sake, for your sake and my sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Don't miss that. God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become, so that you might become the righteousness of God. So that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he is pleased with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You hearken back to the moment of Jesus' baptism when they heard a voice from heaven. And what did the voice say? 
The voice said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. My friends, God the Father invites you into his family. And he says, you're my son, you're my daughter. You are my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Paul says that you are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. You've got a seat at the table. The banquet table of the Lord forever and ever and ever. And it's a pleasure, a favor, a life that cannot ever be taken away. In John 6, 37, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He's not going to kick you out of the family. It's not as if Jesus has been given to you and someone's going to take him back at some point. It's not that his pleasure has been given to you and that pleasure is going to be taken away. Jesus isn't alone. He's a gift. He's yours. Sandy and I were shopping many years ago. Uh, our now 26-year-old son, who's 6'3", tall guy, big guy, uh, he was about 5 and he was only about this big, with cute little cheeks and curly hair. And, uh, elderly, grandfatherly gentleman came around the corner of the toy store where we were, and he tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, excuse me, may I borrow your son? And I looked at him as if he was crazy. <laughs> I mean, can you borrow my son? And he realized, I guess, the way that sounded. And he said, my, my grandson's about the same size, and I want to see if your son will fit in this little riding toy over here. I said, oh, okay. So I'm right on my son's heels the whole time, you know. I'm not going to let this guy take my son around the corner. We go around the corner, and this, this gentleman invites Nathan to sit in this little riding toy, you know. I think it was a little riding red fire truck kind of thing. And Nathan gets in it and rides it down the aisle and rides it back up the aisle and up and down the aisle a couple of times. And the elderly gentleman said, eh, looks like a good fit. And he turns around and walks away. And I'm the one left to take Nathan out of the truck and tell him you can't have that one. You know, um, sometimes we treat Jesus as if he's alone. And we're just going to bar him for a few minutes and try him off for size and then we're going to walk away. He isn't alone, my friends. He's a gift. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's pleased in you. Who did the angels sing to? They sang to, to shepherds on the hillside. But that song was also for you. Not just them, but for you. How do you respond to such a song? How do you respond to that? I, I don't know about you. I, I think of one of my favorite hymns, And Can It Be? And can it be that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? And can it be? How in the world can it be that this God of heaven would be pleased to give me his son? Died he for me who caused his pain for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be 
that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. How do you respond? To glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among all those with whom he is pleased. My friends, all we can do is respond with worship. The angels responded as they went away glorifying and praising God. That's our response. Will you pray with me? Holy Father, I pray that you would help us to worship you and you alone. Father, that our lips, our hearts would bring you praise, that our very lives would bring you praise and honor and glory. Father, that there would be nothing on this earth that would capture us the way you capture us. That you would have our attention, you would have our glory, you would have our very breath as offerings of worship to the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior born in a stable and laid in a manger. Lord, you're worthy. We're yours. Be glorified in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.